0: Welcome to the Antioch Community Church Podcast. We are a church
1: located in the downtown Birmingham area where we desire to be with and like Jesus and help others do the same for the glory of God. We hope today's message encourages and challenges you.
0: This is a reading from Galatians five sixteen 16-26. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, on your way in, you should have gotten a couple of things. And if you didn't, we have more both of them at the Connection Table on your way out today. Uh, But just want to draw your attention to a couple of things before we jump into Galatians 5 together in this new series. Uh, The first is uh, you should have gotten one of these, our uh, prayer guide for week of prayer. Uh, This is starting tomorrow morning. I was joking with some people earlier today that we might as well just have a lock-in because it's like 12 hours away from starting. So um, if you want to just, I guess, sleep in your pew, we'll see you in a few hours. So um, week of Prayer. We are so excited! This this will be our second week of prayer. We did one uh, back last spring, and the idea initially, honestly, was to just do it once a year. And uh, we just we had such a it was such a significant time for me and for so many others that were like, "What's keeping us from doing this once a semester?" Um, and the idea really is this: is that we all need help learning how to pray. Every single one of us. I don't know. I don't care if you're the babiest of believers or if you've been following Jesus you know, for decades, Um, and it's such a great privilege that God gives us to approach him um, boldly and uh, to speak with him face-to-face as a man does a friend, and, uh, you know, us doing a week of prayer together is us saying, we want to go there with God because he's wanting to go there with us, but we we need to lock arms with with one another to get there. Um, I need to lock arms with you all as well. Um, so, week of prayer. What you'll, you'll see the the schedule in here if you open it up and, and, and look around in it. Uh, we'll be starting with Monday through Friday. We're gonna have prayer. We'll have a prayer gathering here in this space um, Monday through Friday, six to seven a.m. And so uh, that's where we'll start. On Saturday, we'll have our city prayer walk. We do this the first Saturday of every month, uh, where we go to Railroad Park and we just. We split up into pairs, and we pray, and we look for opportunities if God gives them to uh, to care through prayer, so to speak, or we just ask people: Is there anything going on in your life? Is there something we could pray uh, with you about? Anything that you're, any burdens that you're carrying, that kind of thing. So, some really cool opportunities just to uh, meet somebody and pray for them and care for them uh, have happened because of that. So, and then next week, uh, this time on Sunday, we'll we'll uh, we'll have a special time of prayer in our service. So. I would encourage you to to join us for this because I think there's something that we each have to help one another push against, which is to this natural pull that we we have to to live distant from God, Um, to not live in his presence because we don't want to, because our egos don't want to. Um, and sometimes because we just don't know how to, and so we want to go there together. So we hope you'll join us for that. The other thing is you should have also gotten uh, one of these on your way in. Uh, big announcement, we are moving. We are moving. Third Prez, where we're meeting right now, has been so gracious to us to allow us to be here for almost a year. Uh, this is by far the nicest place we've ever met. Um, I felt like Cinderella when I first walked in here. Like, I'm used to, like, meeting in, like, junky parks and, like, Gyms and stuff, and, and like we met in a home initially, and so I was like, man, this is like, wow, I'm gonna start levitating or something. This is just amazing, and um, they've been so gracious to let us meet here. Uh, but we knew it was not a long, long term thing. So we've been here for almost a year, with COVID kind of, you know, beginning to in some ways settle down. They're now really starting to think as a church about bringing back their Sunday evening activities, and so. Uh, so they gave us plenty of, of advance notice. And uh, you can see all the information on the back here. I'm not going to get into all the details of it. What I'll tell you is this, is we're going to keep the same time, 4.30, and it's, it's literally three blocks that way, north, east. So it's just just right over there. Um, but you'll hear more about that. So October 24th, so pretty much a month from today is when we'll move to our new space. So uh, I and the staff are, are very excited about getting there and excited to be in our new space. The last thing I'll say about that is just, You know, all the spots that we've been along the way, I've always been surprised just to see the things that that God had plans to do in us as a church, people that he wanted us to encounter and to minister to that otherwise, had we not been in that part of the city, wouldn't have happened. And so, honestly, would encourage you to be praying and and be prayerfully expectant of, all right, Lord, what you're moving us a couple blocks that way, but what is it that you have for us there in that space? Um, So... Yeah, looking forward to that move in just about a month. Now, with that, we are starting a new series today uh, in the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, what you just heard read for us. What we're going to do is uh, we're going to take nine weeks, and we're going to take one week per per part of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, And today, actually, uh, what we're going to do is the first part of the fruit of the Spirit is love. We're going to spend a little time on that, at the very end, but as I was preparing for this, I kind of realized there's there's a there's quite a bit here uh, that's really important to grasp not only just to understand this passage, but that that shakes itself down into the nitty gritty everyday moments of following Christ that um, that I think is um, some of it's not you know some of it's not as uh, maybe intuitive uh, or talked about as often. So, um, but so we're going to spend a bit of time on some of the stuff surrounding the fruit of the Spirit. And then we'll spend the rest of the series kind of looking very closely at each part of the fruit of the Spirit. But today, what happens in, uh, in this passage, and what I want you to begin thinking about, is um, the common shared experience that we all have, myself included, of not being able to do the things that you want to do, and doing the very things that you know you shouldn't. And that really deep down that you don't want to do. Right? We live in this tension, this war, these opposing desires. Um, and God has to say something about why that is. And then also, more importantly, how He helps us in that, how He helps us through that, and what He's doing in the midst of all that. So um, we're going to look at, at Galatians 5 16 through 26 in kind of three movements, three parts. The first section is this the Spirit. The second is the flesh, and the third is the fruit. So the the spirit, the flesh, and the fruit. So the first section, the spirit. when you look at the very beginning of uh, this section in uh, verse 16, which is really where we're going to spend most of our time in this first section, the spirit, verse 16, I'll read it again for you. It says this, But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So right away, you see two players introduced, um, the spirit and the flesh. And what will become clear in the next couple of verses is that both of these players are alive and active in the life of a follower of Christ, both the flesh and the spirit. Now, um, I want to look at the flesh in the next section, but just taking a moment to just kind of pause on the spirit, not just kind of breeze past that and assume that, you know, we we really understand and get this amazing um, part of who God is and part of what he's done for us. Um, so we're going to spend a little bit of time there um, on the spirit. I, um, I heard... Uh, a pastor in North Carolina, J.D. Greer, says something. He wrote, he wrote a, uh, a great book on the spirit. He's, it's called um, Jesus Inside You is Better Than Jesus Beside You, which is like one of those titles where it's like, okay, I probably don't need to read the book. That's just a great title, and I think I get the point of what, what he's trying to get across. But he made this joke that, like, um, the spirit is like your pituitary gland, where it's like this thing you, you know you have in there somewhere but you don't really know what it's there for. And like, if you didn't have it, would it be that big of a deal? It's just kind of like this part of your body that's it's in there somewhere, but you don't really know what it's for or what it's doing. And quite frankly, that's kind of how oftentimes we think of the Spirit. It's like there's this, this thing that's in there somewhere, but I don't really know what he's there for. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what I would lose if he wasn't there. And, uh, and the Bible has a lot to say about Um, what the Spirit is there for, and and what we would lose if if he wasn't there. So I want to point out, um, there's a lot we could say about the Spirit. I want to point out three three things about the Spirit, and I want to give um, kind of three practical takeaways from that before we move to the next section. The first is this, is that the Spirit is a he, not an it. That's not just being nitpicky. That's not just like a grammar thing. This is actually really, this is really important for, for us to take a moment and think about um, that this, the Spirit of God is not a, a force, like it's not like the force in Star Wars, it's, it's, he's, not a, he's not a thing, he's actually a person, and, uh, and as you can see in other parts of, uh, particularly the New Testament, um, that the Spirit can be like a person, he can be argued with, he can be resisted. He can be grieved, just like in a friendship or a family relationship. You can do something that, you know, really bothers and breaks the heart of another person. Um, those are all things that can happen between uh, you as a follower of Christ and the Spirit, but he can also be listened to. Right? He's, he's speaking, and he can also be followed. He's, he's leading as well. So he's, and more clearly, more, more importantly, he's not just a person. Um, he's God. This is this is this is the second person of the Trinity. This is who God is. His He has Spirit. That's the first thing. He is a person, not a thing or an it. Um, the second is that He indwells all believers. There's a couple things that pop up in uh, in the New Testament, in Romans in particular, that um, that are really helpful in kind of beginning to understand a little bit about what the Holy Spirit is. In your life to do and what he's there for. Um, The New Testament talks about the Holy Spirit as a seal or in our language, we might use the language more of a trademark. It's a stamp of ownership where God says, I'm going to give you my spirit and this is going to be the defining mark, my likeness in a way, what I'm really like. Now we um, we all bear the image of God, period, regardless of what your you know, religion is or your sexual orientation or your nationality, we all bear the image of God. And in that way, we're all royalty. Um, no one has lost that. But in a, in a unique way, um, God gives his likeness and in, a, in a more specific way to uh, his people. Um, but he also, the Spirit is also referred to as a guarantee. Or maybe the way we would talk about it is a down payment that you're, you're putting this down payment on a house to say, I am, this is mine, and it's gonna take a while to get the rest of it paid off and to make it fully mine, but it's it's mine. And that's what the Holy Spirit's like. It's like this this down payment in your life that when you experience it, there's a bit of assurance for you as well um, that this has been given to me and this is only going to increase. This, this ability to... Um, engage with God, to communicate with God, um, to be in the presence of God through the Spirit, that's something that's only going to increase and intensify. The third thing I want to point out about the Spirit is that he primarily is there to make Jesus real and personal to you. right? Because Jesus said, you know, it's actually better for me to, to go so that the helper might come, so that he might be able to be in all places at all times. The New Testament also refers to the Holy Spirit specifically as the Spirit of Christ. This is, as, um, as one commentator puts it, this is the, the, the resurrected Christ resident in you. That's what the Holy Spirit is. Not kind of, again, some kind of like faceless cloud, thing, but, but actually the very Spirit of Christ, the, the very Jesus that we see in the Gospels living out his life in ministry, his spirit is now given to you as a, follow Christ as a down payment, as a seal. Jesus says that um, the Holy Spirit will testify of me. That's what he's there to do. So a couple ways to think about this. One, it's like the Holy Spirit's like a spotlight. Right? He's not drawing attention to himself, right? A, there's this kind of sense of like, you don't look in a spotlight. You look at what the spotlight is shining its light on to see it more clearly. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's there to to make Jesus not seem real, but be real to you, to be near to you. Um, But in another way, uh, the Holy Spirit's also kind of like music. It's kind of like he's the music of God in a way. In that, just like music it, I mean, it does something to you when you listen to it. Then different kinds of music do different kinds of things to you. Um, and if I was, you know, undignified, I would turn on some different kinds of music and do different, just whatever happens to me. And we could just all do whatever happens, you know, depending on where we're listening to, you know, jazz or classical or, you know, hip hop and just see what happens. We're not going to do that. But you can imagine, right? When you, you see people, it just, it just happens, right? Just a few moments ago when we're, we're singing, it just, it kind of starts to move you. It just has that effect on you. And the spirit of God is like that in a way. Now, right, he's not just there to kind of make you move and, and do everything, but there's, a, there's like a specific song that he's singing. It's the, it's the song of Jesus that he's singing that takes the person, the character, the realness, the reality of Christ, and begins to make it a, a force in your life that begins to move you and change how you carry yourself and change how you uh, you live your life. So he's He's like music in a way. A couple of um, practical takeaways from just some of these these kind of key pillar things about the spirit is, um, first and foremost is that, and this is one important thing that Jesus wanted his disciples to to hear before he left, was that the fact that God has given his spirit to you means that he has not left you alone. Jesus, he wanted to comfort his disciples and say, I'm not leaving you as orphans. When I go away physically, I will be coming to you in a, yes, a new way, but an even closer way, in an even more real way. God has not left you alone, even if you feel like he may have left you alone based on the circumstances of your life or maybe based on the circumstances of where you've taken yourself, God has not left you alone. Um, The second is that, Um, the Holy Spirit is there to help you love and obey God. There is an assumption here that God does not expect you to be able to obey him on your own. That he actually recognizes he has to give you himself and then bear with you and me patiently over our whole lives while he works his life out in you. And then a third thing is um, I want to encourage you to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. What I mean by that is for not all of, you, all of you, but for many of you, there is a general uh, skepticism about the Holy Spirit. It is easy to make the Holy Spirit kind of in basically just the punchline of a joke It's easy to just, because, rightfully so, the Holy Spirit, I mean, has been abused, right? Prosperity preachers who speak in tongues and, you know, fly around in million dollar airplanes and there's a sense of like, I don't we see the, the abuses of the Spirit and what we can easily do is just say, well, God the Father is great, God the Son is great, but, you know, the Holy Spirit, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that because I don't want to be associated with the kooks the weird people, the people who have abused, you know, God for their own, you know, advantage. Um, you don't have to, and I would really encourage you to not throw out the Holy Spirit with the kooks, with weirdos, with the people who have abused the Holy Spirit. There is a way to engage with the Holy Spirit that is very anti-weird, that is very—I don't know the best way to say it—normal that actually makes you a more normal person than weird person. That's actually possible, and I think that, you know, as as we see in the fruit of the Spirit, that's really kind of gives you hints at what the Spirit's really there to do in our lives. That the Spirit, I mean, really the main proof of the Spirit is not the miraculous gifts, necessarily. The main proof of the Spirit is the fruit of a life that, Bears the likeness of Jesus. And we'll get more into that uh, as we go throughout the series. But that's, that's the Spirit. We see him mentioned right here in verse 16. He's introduced, but right alongside of him is introduced this other player, this other person in the other corner, the flesh. So we're in the second section now, the flesh. I'm going to read to you verses 16 through 18 point out to you about the flesh is that there is a distinction here about what the Bible is talking about between what we see listed here and in a number of other places in the New Testament of the flesh. The flesh is not the body. There are actually two separate words in the original language for this. Um, you have the word soma, which means just physical body. And then you have this other word, sarks which just sounds scary and evil. just sounds bad. Sarks, And that's the word for flesh. These are two different things. Your bodies were God's idea. They are good, right? And he is going to redeem them one day and resurrect them. And he's not doing away with them anytime soon. Even though you've got all these impulses and all these, you know, breaks down, you get sick, you get tired, all those things, your body is good. What's not good is Your flesh, the flesh is, um, and the Bible talks a decent amount about this. The flesh is, um, I'll explain it kind of a couple different ways. One is it's it's your sinful nature. It's using Bible, a lot of kind of Bible language. Let me kind of give a couple other ways to understand it. Your flesh is the you that tries to exist without God. Your flesh is, as other places in the New Testament talk about, it's your old man. If you've been made new in Christ, it's the old man. Romans 8, 7 specifically says this, um, that the flesh is hostile to God. There is a, and this is, this is this is not like, this is just the normal everyday experience for a follower of Christ. That there is a, Force within you that has desires that is actually at war with God and hates God. Let me just encourage you there's nothing wrong with you. This is actually the norm. I mean, we have Galatians 5 here for a reason that that is actually normal. You haven't like missed some step or some piece in the puzzle. Actually, if you don't sense some sort of warring and battling, that's actually a sign that something has gone wrong. Maybe you don't actually know Christ and you thought you did, but there's no sense of, like, there's no sense of living for yourself that, that doesn't bother you. There's no, there's no um, concern about uh, breaking relationship with God and breaking God's law. Um, that might be the problem, but the, you know, the, the awareness of that force in you is, is just being honest with, with yourself. I want to read um, the next couple of verses in here to, to show, you know, what, okay, so the, the works of the flesh. What, what does the flesh do? This kind of force in you that's uh, the old person. The works of the flesh, this is what the flesh does. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. You you see a couple categories. I mean, it starts right out of the gate. The first three are about sexuality, which I think is common to the human experience, male or female. That's going to be one of the primary and first ways that, is going to raise itself up in you. Um, Then you've got uh, a lot of relational words, which basically come, or sorry, I skipped a couple. You've got idolatry, sorcery. Those are basically um, religion. You know, the sense of wanting to use religion uh, to justify yourself. And you get just a long list of relational words which basically have the center of uh, the flesh makes you the center of the universe. And so because of that, that's where all these divisions come from. That's where all this strife comes from, all these anger and rivalries because you're not getting your way that people don't recognize that you're actually God in human form and you're the center of the universe and everything should revolve around you. And then it ends with, you know, basically substance abuse, um, drunkenness and orgies. That's not talking about sexual orgies. That's talking about like basically just a drinking party. Um, these are the works of the flesh. Now, um, I was thinking about this actually as I was driving today. I was like, this, this actually, I have one of these in my house right now. Um, and this is a good picture of the flesh. I was kind of thinking about the, the flesh is almost like, it's like a, the toddler inside of all of us. Who wants to run around with the pants off, eating and drinking everything, putting their mouth on everything, and basically only says, Mine and I can do it by myself. That's kind of what the flesh is. It's your inner toddler. Now, Something that I learned this week studying this that I I had never seen before, I'd never really made much of, uh, but I actually think is really key to understanding this passage is, is right before this in verse 18. It says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So assuming that if you aren't led by the Spirit, if you are living in the flesh, you are under the law. What in the world does the law have to do with First of all, the law is quite frankly a confusing concept in the Bible. It's used like, a ton of different ways and it takes a lot of kind of work to figure out what even which of the ways is it being used Um, and so honestly when I've just read this in the past i have just kind of like oh the law yeah Bible word All right, on to the next thing but um, when I was saying this week I I saw something here and it's it's really helped me personally not just understand but but really uh, I think take a step closer to walking by the spirit Um, this idea of living under the law is this is that Living in the law is when you want to be your own savior. When you want to say, I did X, Y, and Z, and that's why I'm good. That's why I'm, as the Bible would say, justified, declared right, validated, accepted by God and other people and myself, right? This is actually saying that you can actually do the whole other side of the spectrum you can try to justify yourself not by being a good religious person, but actually by living in the flesh. And, and what this comes down to is, uh, you know, when, you, when you're living under the law, it's, just, it's you're rejecting, no matter if that gets worked out by being religious or irreligious, you're rejecting the free gift of God's grace in Christ. That's what it ultimately comes down to, is you re- you're refusing to rely on him and him alone and you wanna hang on to something yourself. And what ends up happening is you end up saying, I have to have this. Some of the language that's used later on is passions and desires of the flesh. It's the idea that they're over desires. Some of these things, some of them are bad. Others, they're not necessarily bad. It's just you're wanting something that's good too much. There's nothing wrong with sex and sexuality. There's nothing wrong with you know, having self-esteem. There's nothing wrong with, uh, You know, these kinds of things, but um, when we want them too much and we say, I have to have this so that I can feel secure, so that I can feel validated, then that's when they become a law, and now you're enslaved to a law that's, you know, you basically made for yourself. Not God's law, but this law that you've made up. But it all comes down to not trusting that God is actually good, God is for you, and that he actually has everything that you truly need and long for in himself. And so we want to find it in other ways and it ends up getting worked out in all these these various ways. Um, So a a couple takeaways from from this and we'll move to the final section. On one hand, looking at this idea of the flesh and then the the kind of outworkings of the flesh is um, don't think that you're above anything. It's easy to look at this and think, "Oh, well, you know, I might be tempted with I don't know drunkenness, but I'm not tempted with sexuality. Or I might be tempted with you know um, tempted with sexuality, but I'm not tempted with you know anger. I'm not an angry person, right? This is just this is these are the kinds of things that just come out of a heart that doesn't trust and rely on God." In Christ alone. Don't think that you're above any of these. And don't look down on others who, you know, they might have a particular, I don't know, rut in their life where they have one of these things. But on the other hand, don't lose hope. Because it's easy to, you know, especially if you are a follower of Christ and you're like, I am stuck. I'm stuck in some part of this that's listed right here. And I feel like I'm spinning my wheels, and maybe nobody even knows. It's easy just to think I basically just have to live out my life um, and kind of struggle quietly with this. Be encouraged by this. Your flesh is not the real you. It's the old you. It's still there. It hasn't died off yet. It's still wanting to wreak as much havoc as it can. But it's not the real you. In Christ, you have been given a new heart. The old heart's gone. Now, there still is this power, this force active within you, but your new heart is soft, and it's good, and it's from God. So don't believe the lie of the enemy that, you know, if you have, if you're, I mean, another thing, too, that that scares us is when we see at the end of verse 21 where it says, uh, you know, I warn you that, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's like, okay, well, if I'm envious, does that mean I'm not, I'm not a real believer? What does that mean? Well, if you look closely at this, and it's so often as passages like this do that talk about not inheriting the kingdom of God, this is talking about if you, if you make a consistent practice unrepentantly of this kind of lifestyle, it should be a warning sign to you that maybe you don't know that you're living God. Even if you've told yourself that you have, Again, if there's kind of just an acceptance of these things, no sense of struggle, no sense of repentance with these things, that should be a warning sign, as this is. This is a warning sign. If there is struggle, if there is, you know, an ounce of repentance, if there's wrestling here, then that's, that should be hopeful and encouraging to you. Welcome to the club. Um, the last final section, the fruit. So we've had the, the spirit, the flesh, and the fruit. You've got these two players, alive and active, inside of you, going on, and it can be happening when, I mean, you're with other people and no one else even knows what's going on, what's churning inside of you. What are you supposed to do about this? Is there some kind of, you know, way out? I mean, what, how does God help? And that's what we, we, we see, uh, we see what God does to help us in this, as he, you know, acknowledges that I recognize that my children, they are going to wrestle with the flesh for the rest of their life, Um, but begins to show us what to do. Um, The first thing I want to say about about what to do is what not to do, and really what you can't do, and honestly what makes it worse, is to just say no to the works of the flesh. Just say no. Just, Just, I'm going to tell myself, like I went to church, And I heard this sermon, and I'm just gonna take this with me for the rest of my life, and I'm never gonna do that thing again ever. And that just doesn't work, right? Because the works of the flesh, right? What are they? They're outworkings of the flesh. There's a deeper thing going on here. There's this deeper reality at work with you. There's a level of of desire of of a deep, excuse me, a deeper place inside of you that. That's going on that you can't just, you know, cut off the fruit and expect it not to grow back, so to speak. Um, But even that should be encouraging to you that God wants to go into those places that you feel like you can't even get a hold on. He wants to go into those places in your heart that you don't even know how to get into. And this is actually, you know, the, the normal work that God. Uh, expects to have to do in his kids is to help you with this kind of stuff. Help me with this kind of stuff. I want to draw your attention to Galatians 5, 24. After listing the works of the flesh and then the fruit of the Spirit, it says this, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Again, that's kind of an interesting picture there. He, he's saying that This is what happens when you, when you place your faith in Christ, what is happening is the old you gets put up on the cross with Jesus. And just as Jesus was crucified there, so is your old man. So is the you that wants to save yourself and do anything but throw yourself at the grace, mercy, and compassion of Christ. Now the interesting thing here is that it's been crucified so there's I, I think there's I think there's some leeway here to, to, to see what's happening it's almost like this it's like your um, your flesh has been put on the cross and it's been crucified it's up there it's not coming down but he's not dead yet and when temptation comes along in whatever form it is there's this sense that you want to go over there and give him a drink of water or kind of help him down a little bit, try and get him down. But he's half dead, right? So it's it's a miserable experience. And yet we kind of keep going back to this crucified flesh. So I think part of the way that this is directing us the way out is the desires of the flesh being opposed to the desires of the spirit, we have to begin doing battle at the at the level of desire. And the level of desire of the spirit is what do we talk? What we talk about? Who the spirit is? He's the spirit of Christ. He's the spirit who wants to put a spotlight on Christ. What do you do? I mean, basically, it's this. And This is what Jesus says in the Gospels. This is the work you need to do. Believe in the one whom He sent. That is the work you're to do. Believe that the finished work of Christ is not enough to only forgive you, but to actually create a whole new new life for you that's actually desirable to live and is not a just pure sacrifice. Because when we're operating in the flesh, we're believing, no, 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 he actually can't satisfy me here. He can't fulfill me here. I need to go get that elsewhere. And the Spirit wants to direct us to, no, look at Christ. Look at who he is, what he has done. Look at his heart that he gave himself up for you, willingly on the cross, to take your place, to finish the work on your behalf. I think it begins to get us thinking about it in this way of, of, you know, which root are we watering, so to speak? Are we watering the flesh that's just and stirring that up with this kind of just continued distrust that God is good and for you and has completed the work on your behalf in Christ, or are you watering the roots of the of what the Spirit is doing, which is? pointing you, making a beeline to Christ, putting a spotlight on Christ. It's like, you know, radio, the, the radio, which no, who listens anymore? Does anybody even remember that? You may have to Google it in a second. The radio. There's, there's radio waves out there in the world right now, just everywhere, right? They're, they're in this room. They're everywhere, right? But you can't hear it. But you have to turn on the radio and then pick a station and tune in. That's kind of like how it is with the Spirit. You can tune in and out of the Spirit. And that's what what we're being called to do. That is the command here in this passage is to walk by the Spirit. When you notice the works of the flesh and things like this popping up in your life, that is proof to you that you are disbelieving God. And you need to, in that moment, in community, bring those things into the light, with God and your brothers and sisters, and do the work which God has called you to do, which is to believe. Believe in Christ. Again and again and again. It's, I think, much like this um, this, this experience of following uh, and being led by the Spirit. It's it's kind of like a sailboat, in that you know, a sailboat isn't powered by itself. And yet, at the same time, if if you don't know how, like, I don't know how to sail a boat. Um, I don't think if I got out there without any help or experience, I would go anywhere. There's a sense of which it's active and it's passive, right? It's active in that you set yourself up so that when the wind does blow, you're moving. And you know it's the wind that's, you know, directing. And so it is with the Spirit to put yourself in places as, the, as church history calls it, the means of grace. Things that are like faucets that turn on the living waters of, of God's presence, the word, prayer, um, community. Um, those things in particular are things that the Spirit of God makes use of to help you as you do battle with the ever-present and yet dying flesh in your life. The very first thing... Um, that is present in the fruit of the Spirit as we wrap up is, um, and I told you we're gonna get to it, is love. I wanna make a connection here as we, as we turn our attention to communion. I think it's, it's telling that the first part of what starts to sprout, what starts to grow slowly but surely in your life as you begin to trust that Jesus is for you, that his work is finished, his sacrifice is sufficient, the first part of what begins to, to show up is love. Like, that's the whole atmosphere of who God is, of his relationship with you, and how that affects our relationships with one another. And what I want to do is read a short portion of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and even be thinking about this as we turn our attention to uh, to the Lord's Supper, and thinking about what Christ did on the cross as the primary deepest expression of this. This is what the Spirit wants to produce in you as you abide in him. First Corinthians 13 says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth but bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus left for his disciples and for us, all of his disciples in the ages to come, something to remember him by. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember my great love for you. Remember that I was broken for you. Remember that my blood was shed and poured out for you. This is one of the primary things that God uses to stir your heart, to quiet the flesh for just a second and to listen to his voice and his love. So what we're going to do is I'm going to invite you to come forward in just a moment. And what you'll do is you'll take the elements, go back to your seat. Once everybody's had a chance to to get the elements and go back to your seat, just hold on to them for a second and just take a moment to pray, meditate, think about um, these things. Spend a moment with, with Jesus before we don't rush into it. Once everybody has their elements at their seat, then I'll lead us in partaking of it. Um, what I would encourage you to do is if you're here and, you're, and you've not placed your faith in Christ, if you would not identify as a Christian, um, I would ask you to just remain where you're seated, where you're at. Uh, this is a time to commune with Christ that we take, uh, we take this privilege really seriously. And so uh, we're not just coming to you know, do a formality. We're coming to meet with Christ in a, Uh, in a real way and so would encourage you just um, to think about what you've heard even pray about what you've heard and um, and with that being said I and along with all the the members of our church we are we sincerely mean it that we are so glad that you have joined us Um, but would encourage you just to remain seated while we do this so um, so when you're ready uh, come feast on Christ in your hearts by faith and be thankful we are so glad you joined us today if you would like to stay connected with us, visit our website at antiochbhm.com, where you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like to speak with someone about what was shared today, please email us at infoantiochbhm.com. Go in peace.